One of, one of those moments would happen at the end of all the Gospels, uh, before we get into the book of Acts, the story of the church, the end of Jesus' life. And the one that gets talked about a lot is uh, one at the end of the book of Matthew called the Great Commission. And what this is, is a moment after Jesus has died in resurrection, it's the risen Jesus with his disciples, and he's about to ascend into, ascend into heaven, and he says to his disciples the most, it's the most important thing that he wants them to, to remember. He gives them this great mission, this co-mission, because he's along with us in it, in what we are supposed to do as a church. What do we do now that he leaves, and that we have... Uh, that, that we are the church living in the world. And so this is, this is what he says. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right, so this is known as the Great Commission, and this is the directive, the direction that Jesus gives his church. Now, I leave. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go into the world, share this story about how I, I lived and died and rose again, and, and then you're supposed to, to invite people to live into that story, to become disciples. And, um, and, uh, and that is what the mission of any church is. That's our mission. We exist to be the people of God who invite people into that living story, who invite people to, to become a follower of Jesus. We follow after Jesus. We make disciples of Jesus. That's what we do. We connect. We say here we connect people to a greater life in Christ. It's, it's another way of saying make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's, what's interesting, though, is when you move there from that end moment in the book of Matthew to the start of the story of the church in the book of Acts, Jesus kind of actually uh, focuses in a, a, a little stronger. Luke reminds, tells us that he didn't just give this great commission. He kind of mapped out a way in which this would happen. He kind of laid a blueprint for how we were to go make disciples. And, and, and Luke shares that in Acts verses 1-8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is Jesus focusing the, the, the mission. And, and, and if you follow Acts, this is actually what we, what we see happen. The disciples, <coughs> after Jesus ascends, stay there in Jerusalem. And they kind of wait and hunger down and pray until there's this huge event called Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes, just like Jesus says. And when the Holy Spirit comes... Those, those early Christians, that early church is emboldened now to, to get out and tell the story and preach. And, and so there's this incredible movement of, uh, of, of people becoming Christians, be, becoming disciples. And, uh, and, and then Jesus gives the way that he then wants this to happen. The Holy Spirit comes, and then they go and they make disciples, starting in Jerusalem, which is where the church is based. And then there's three other locations identified on there. There's Judea, there's Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Judea is kind of like the region around Jerusalem. These are other Jews who live uh, maybe not in Jerusalem, but, uh, but in nearby villages and towns. So like an equivalent would be like, uh, you are to share the gospel in Houston, 
and then I want you to go all the way to Kingwood, right? You can even think of it like ethnically, it's like San Antonio and, um, and Dallas would be included in this. This is Texas, right? Uh, but it would be different to go to Oklahoma, right? And so that, that's the idea in the next bit. There's, there's an ethnic movement. You move from Ju Judea to Samaria, where there's some cultural differences, right? People from Oklahoma aren't the same. That's what, right, Texans? I know you're proud of that, right? Uh, and uh, um, so, so, so it's Judea, Samaria, and, and then Samaria's next, and S Samaria would be Oklahoma. It's like there is cultural differences, there's geographic differences, and finally the ends of the earth represents those people to the very outer edges of our world who need to hear the, the story about Jesus and have a chance to hear the gospel and receive eternal life. And so um, this is kind of how that, 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 that path goes, but this is what's really interesting in the story. This is what I want you to see. Um, it, it, it's the way that that movement then happens. Jesus gives this directive, but how does the early church make it happen? Because here's the thing, after Jesus gives this command and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, uh, the disciples don't do what Jesus says. He said, "Go to start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But six chapters after Pentecost, those disciples are still hunkered down in Jerusalem, having a good time, right? They are not doing what Jesus called them and asked them to do. There's incredible things happening in the church. People are coming to faith, but Jesus said, go, and they're happy to stay in Jerusalem, right? Let's speak to Texas again. Texans are pretty happy to stay in Texas. That's why there's that bumper sticker. I got here as quick as I could, right? I, I don't need to leave. The Mexican food doesn't taste the same in other places, <laughs> right? My wife tells me that all the time. Every time we go to a Mexican place, not in Texas. And, uh, and, 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 and so uh, that doesn't happen. The church is not moving. They show no signs of moving until we get to that... To, to Acts 7. In Acts 7, uh, there's this young leader who has started to emerge in the church, and his name is Stephen. And he isn't one of the disciples, he's somebody else who's, who's heard the story of Jesus, and who is, is becoming uh, a real leader. And Stephen um, is doing some pretty incredible things. I, there's miracles reported that he's, uh, that, that, that he's a part of. And, and what happens in Jerusalem is what happened when Jesus was alive in Jerusalem. Some of the religious and political people who had power were not happy about the momentum and the influence that Jesus was having. Just similarly, after Pentecost, those people were not happy about the influence and momentum that the early church had. It was, it was infringing on the control and the power that they had, and they didn't like it. So they come to Stephen as one of the leaders of the early church and said, we're bringing you up on charges of blasphemy work against the state. And, and this was illegal. They would have charged him, and, and, and so they say, give an account for this. Have you blasphemed God? And, and then in, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives his response. He gives this incredible, inspired response where he tells the story of Jesus, beginning in the Old Testament, because he's speaking to Jews so that they can understand it, speaking about how the prophets prophesied about Jesus, and then getting to Jesus and then saying, but you, Jews, he says this to them, you guys have done what you did to those prophets. You persecuted Jesus, you stood against his ways, and, and, and you're doing that to me now, and, um, and you need to stop. 
right? And, and so you can imagine, do you think they were happy about this like public uh, thing that he had done against him? No, not at all. And, and, and they said, so you are guilty of blasphemy. And what they do there, you read it in Acts 7, is they pick up stones and they stone Stephen to death. He is the first Christian that dies as a martyr. And, uh, and he's stoned very publicly, right in front of everybody. Uh, and, 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 and so there's this horrible, tragic thing that happens uh, there in Acts 7. Uh, and, and, and what it does is it sparks off uh, a change in, in, in the way that these religious leaders in Jerusalem treat the early Christians. They go for a much more aggressive approach. They, they now start to persecute all the Christians, not just Stephen. They go home by home, led by a man named Saul, who shows up later in the story, and, and, and gets these people out, moves them. And it says in, in Acts that the church is now scattered. They are forced out of Jerusalem and now, uh, and now have to, to, to go to other places like Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so what's so interesting is out of this incredibly tragic, horrible thing that happens, now the disciples are actually doing what Jesus told them to do. They are scattered and they're obeying the command of Jesus to go and make disciples in those specific places. I want to read you Acts chapter 8, which intentionally tries to catch us up and see that. It says, On that day, the day after Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout, very intentionally, Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Don't miss that last verse. So now they're in Judea and Samaria. Now they have gone the places that Jesus told them to go. And look at what happens. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Right? So that thing that Jesus told them to do is now finally happening. It's, it's after the stoning and the death of Stephen that the church finally gets beyond Jerusalem. And, and this is very intentional because what we see next is that there's this guy named Philip who is now in Samaria who preaches the gospel to this pagan sorcerer and he believes and is saved. And then he goes on this road and meets this guy from Ethiopia who's a eunuch and, and the guy is trying to understand uh, the, the gospel and Philip explains to it to him and he believes it and is baptized and is saved. And so it's happening. They want us to see that and act. And, and it all started with this terrible, horrible thing that happened in, in the death of Stephen, in the stoning of Stephen. And, and, and so you look at that and you say, huh, that's really interesting. Right? Look at how the purposes of God happen. And there's a question that I imagine comes up in our minds as we put two and two together, because we're supposed to put two and two together when we read the Bible like this. It's like, well, if God wanted this to happen, and it now happened, does that mean that God caused Stephen's death? <clears throat> does that mean that God wanted Stephen to die in this way? 
And I, I just want to answer this as clearly as I can. I don't think the answer is yes to that question. I don't think God ever causes evil. And I think that is the greater biblical witness, and we just need to get that. We need to understand that if you study the Bible and you look at God's relationship to evil, <clears throat> God never, ever causes evil. Evil is the result of free will human choices that we make. Because God wants us to have real free choices, we have the ability to choose evil, just like we have the ability to choose good, and, and therefore are able to actually have real love with other people. And so when we don't choose the good, God allows the possibility of us choosing evil, which is what happened that day with the Jewish leaders, which is what happened with the person of Saul uh, as he continues to persecute the church. And, and, and so there isn't a link, which is what happened with the guy in Las Vegas. He made a horrible choice to choose evil and, and, and to hurt people. And that's what we call sin, when people don't choose the good ways of God, but miss God's mark, which is the definition of sin. Evil is the result of God allowing free will, right? But here's what we do know about God, is that God is good. That's a moral statement. God is good. And Thea has done such a good job since Harvey getting this in, in the kid's mind. She's, she has them say, God is good and God does good, right? It's, it's a statement about his character, and it's a statement about what he does out of his good character. He does good. So here's the thing. This is how you put this together. If Stephen was, was killed and this, this evil thing happened, what do we know about God? Well, he's going to be doing good. And so God is able to take bad things that happen and use them to make good things happen in our world. God didn't cause Stephen's death, but he was able to save lives through the death of this one that he loved. Right? And that is the biblical witness on this. In, in, in the book of Genesis, there's another story where this guy named Joseph is sold into slavery as by his brothers. A horrible, evil act. He ends up saving his brothers from a famine that's happening in their land later on. And he says to them, it sums this up, so good, gotta find it in my notes, what you intended for evil, God used for good. This is, this is the biblical understanding of how these things work together, right? And, 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 and do you see the, the heart of God then in, in, in working through the bad things that happen? As, as this guy Saul says later when he becomes Paul, out of his own personal experience, he says, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That's Paul, the same guy who was persecuting and killing those early Christians after Stephen's death. He's saying, in all things, even in the horrible things that I did, God was working good to, to, for those who loved him. Right? It, it, that is the truth of the gospel. And, and that's the thing that, that I think we need to understand as we think about how this fits into our personal experience. Because there's a parallel question that's, that gets asked about a Hurricane Harvey or a Hurricane Irma. Um, did God cause those things? Right? Was, was God the one who wanted those things to happen? Right? Isn't God all powerful? Well, if you hear a few weeks ago, and you can listen to it online. I answered that question. The answer, again, is no. God uh, doesn't cause natural disasters. They are the result of a broken world 
that has been fundamentally cracked by sin. And so even the natural processes that we see in this world are not the processes that, that God originally intended. And so we experience pain and hurt through things like a hurricane, and, and it's just part of living in a world that's broken. And part of the gospel is, is the creation itself is going to be healed uh, through, through the coming of the kingdom, through our, our uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means that our world gets healed too. Like, I don't even know what that means by, in the specific, but I know that it means that we're not going to have the devastation of hurricanes affect our lives. That, that's part of the promise of God, right? But, but what we do know is even though this horrible, tragic thing happened in our city, and this thing happened that displaced our church, that, that made us in the 10th month of our life as a church, way too early, have to rebuild this thing for the second time in, in, in one year, uh, is that God is working good in the middle of that. God continues to work good. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, step back and see, just like God, as you worked through uh, the, the bad thing that happened to the church in Acts, what is it that you're trying to do with our church? What are the good things that you're trying to do with our church right here and right now? What are the things that we can learn that will make the gospel move forward, that will help us make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world? Because that is the mission God gave us. That's the mission God's behind, and it's the good thing he continues to work for. And I just want to share uh, just a few things that, that I think God is working for good in our world today. Here's the first one. <clears throat> Harvey helped us see past our divisions and live into Jesus' call to love our neighbors as ourselves. Harvey helped us see past our divisions and live into Jesus' call to love our neighbors as ourselves. I had a friend who, um, a week before Harvey, <clears throat> had a pretty incredible experience. His wife was uh, with their two kids at Chick-fil-A having lunch. And uh, the two kids were in that little playground that they had at Chick-fil-A playing. And she was enjoying uh, some moments to herself, drinking coffee, eating a sandwich, what many parents really appreciate about Chick-fil-A, especially dads that have the kids and don't know what else to do, right? And so, so she, was, she was doing that, enjoying that time, and, uh, and suddenly, like, she hears this ruckus, and her kids come out of the playground, and there is this woman who is there, who is kind of forcing, who's forced her kids out of the playground. And, um, and, and she comes over and she says, they are not allowed to be in here. This is only a play area for, um, for infants and toddlers, right? And so she kicked her kids out. And, and look, I do not know what the actual rules are about the Chick-fil-A playground. I know that there's some passion about this. I'm not interested in that debate. What was so incredible was, was what happened next, is that this woman looked at my friend's wife and, and pointed her finger like this and said, why don't you go back to where you came from? It was a bigoted, racist affront that she, that she said to, to my friend's wife. My friend's wife is from Ecuador. And, um, and so she was very hurt by this, as you might imagine, and she called my friend. And uh, as you might imagine, he was, he was a little peeved. Uh, and so he left work, <laughs> he got in his car and drove to Chick-fil-A and, uh, and found this woman 
and confronted her about what she said. She showed no remorse, would not say sorry. He went and got the manager, and as the manager escorted this woman out of Chick-fil-A, she leans over to her three-year-old granddaughter and said, that's why we stick to our own kind. Yeah, it's really sad, right? I, I, I think, uh, needless to say, my friend said, who's a pastor, said, uh, I did not have Jesus-like thoughts about that woman for the next <laughs> few days. <laughs> so a week later, uh, Harvey hits. And, um, and he's uh, seeing all the devastation on television, and he's watching these people voted out of their homes, people trying to get out of really terrible situations, and he cannot get this lady out of his mind. He, he, he begins to think about this lady that he's been so angry at. And, um, and starts to have this feeling of concern for her rise up in, in his heart. He's like, I, I, he thinks, I wonder where she is. I hope she's okay. I hope her granddaughter's okay. And, and, and this is very different from the other experience and feelings he was having. And what he realized is that um, it, although he was rightfully angry about what she did, Right? That, that this may have been the Holy Spirit trying to work in his heart to help him see her humanity and her brokenness and to recognize and understand that this was a woman in need of mercy as much as he was. Right, And so here, out of Harvey, this horrible thing that happened, we are all able to recognize that we have a common humanity, that we all have the same vulnerability to disasters like this. And, 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 and so what we have to do, literally and figuratively, is all find higher ground to stand on. We can't get caught up in the ridiculous divisiveness that keeps happening in our world and forget to respect the mutual humanity and love people the way Jesus urges us to love, which is anyone who is our neighbor. That's the point of that parable, is that we're not asking who we should love, it's that we need to be the ones loving anyone. Right? And, and, and so Harvey, in its ability to, to put all of our, uh, the cross is even, been, the, the ground is even beneath the foot of the cross is the phrase that sometimes used. It just reminded us of that. And, and, and when people were in, uh, in boats saving people, they didn't care what your race was. They didn't care what your uh, political affiliations was. They didn't ask you and your family, are you a Trump supporter before you got in the boat? And if you were getting in the boat, you didn't care if they were a Trump supporter or not, right? It didn't matter. Everybody was trying to find higher ground, and we cannot lose this. Like, this is an opportunity to remember that, that we are all one people created in the image of God. And Christians, we have got to lead the way in this. We don't want to lose this. We need this now more than ever in the divisiveness that's happening in our nation and, 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 and in our city. And, and we just need to, to love and respect all people exactly where they are because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Okay, that's the first one. Here's the second one. Harvey helped make the church salt and light again. I don't know if any of you all saw this article on USA Today. I know some of you did because it made its way through Facebook. <clears throat> But it says, faith groups provide the bulk of disaster recovery in coordination with FEMA. And that article actually talks about just that. It talks and shares how, how faith groups, and that is 95% uh, 
Jesus-following people were the ones who had done more than the lion's share of both the relief and recovery work right after uh, this natural disaster that happened. Uh, at, at this point, I think it was Harvey and Florida uh, uh, at this point when this article was written. And, um, and, and it's actually, I think, 80% 80, 80 of, of the groups that help out do it because of our commitment and our following after Jesus. And you know, there are so many things that happen in the public sphere that paint such a negative picture of Christian people and Christian faith. And sometimes it's not accurate, it's unfair, it's a caricature of what real Christian faith really is. Sometimes, honestly, it is fair. There are people who don't understand the heart of God and who publicly do not show that heart to others. And, and, and and when Jesus talks about the church and what he wants us to be, the, the metaphor he uses is salt and light. And just to think about salt, the, what he's saying is that you need to be different than the ones around you. You give flavor to everything else. If you act like everybody else in the world, you're, you're not salty. You're blanding out in the same you know, anger and outrage and loveless finger pointing that everybody else is doing. Don't do that. Be salty. Give flavor. Make things better. That's the whole purpose. And when we get caught up in the divisiveness, we're not salty. But after Harvey, right, press like this, man, this is one thing I'm so thankful for. That, that's so salty. Like, we're salty again. And, and I don't know if you grew up uh, in the 90s, but when I was in middle school, we would say that, that is so salty. Right? Did anybody say that now? Must be an Illinois thing. I'm sorry. It's really funny. It was hilarious during middle school. Uh, but but it, it is. It's so salty. Like, it, it's so good for us to do this. And it gives us, finally, the platform that we need to share why we're doing what we're doing. And we don't shy away from that. Like, we help because Jesus tells a story of redemption. And we want people to not just know that we have a gospel that can put new sheetrock and insulation in their homes, but it can do new things that help their hearts, right? That give them new life. And, and we put those together, and we have a hope like nobody else knows. And that's, that's why we do what we do. And that's where we become salty. That's where we show the light of Christ. And that's what we need to keep doing. Here's the last one. <laughs> Harvey showed us the generosity of God so that we can be God's generous people. Harvey showed us the generosity of God so that we can be God's generous people. Do you guys know, this is a theological statement, that we have a God who is faithful in all parts of our lives, and that absolutely includes the financial parts of our lives. And, uh, and, and we have a God who calls us to a mission that requires sometimes uh, that we be generous and make sacrifices. And, um, and, and sometimes, like I talked about last week, we do need to make sacrifices. But sometimes in the mission that he calls us to do, even when we give very generously in the way that God's moving our hearts, there's still a gap, right? We still don't have what we need to do what God's called us to do. And, uh, and in those moments, here's the amazing thing. We get to see God move and come forward and work. And you know, after all this happened, uh, we tried to be very clear with you after we itemized it and looked and, and say what this was actually going to cost to rebuild these two buildings, to do the remediation that we need 
needed to. And we've told you uh, every week about $125,000 to $150,000. That's a lot of money, right? That's a ton of money. And it's especially a lot of money for a church that's 10 months old, right? We uh, don't even have enough to, to, to support our own budget. If it wasn't for First Methodist Maryland, we couldn't do what we, what we do today. And, and so, so it, people were looking at this, and people asked me, David, where is this money going to come from? How are we going to have the cash to do what we need to do? And, um, and, uh, and I just personally want to say thank you to all of you guys who, who have been generous, who prayed and asked God, what is it that, that I can do to help out and, and have helped out? I, I just want to thank you. It has given us the cash to get this done in seven weeks. It has made such a big difference. Thank you also for continuing to support the budget. Like, we haven't seen a dip, and that makes such a, a big difference because every week, even without a building, we still have to do the regular things that enable us to do ministry. But, but, but as you might imagine, even with all of the generosity that came from us, there still was a gap there, right? Well, this is what I'm excited to share with you guys. We're not all the way there, but man, God has shown up. I got a, a, a Facebook message a week after um, Harvey happened, and it was from this guy named John Darcy. And honestly, I thought it was one of those fake friend request things, um, you know, that you get, and you're just like, this isn't real, and you say, delete request, right? But I looked at it, and it seemed like a legitimate person. He was from Georgia, and, um, and so I, 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 he had his phone number on there. Like, well, we'll see how this goes, you know? So I called him. I said, hey, is John there? I'm David. He goes, yes. And so what I discovered in this conversation was that John was the pastor of a church in Georgia. And the pastor of a church who had seen what had happened in Houston and really wanted to help and do something and make a difference in the life of another church. And, uh, and this was a church that was relatively very new, seven years old, um, and, uh, and, and still was going to figure out whatever they could do to make a difference. And so what they did, uh, through, the power, through the help of the Holy Spirit and Google, was they uh, typed in the name of their church for churches in the Houston area. And guess what the name of their church is? Redeemer Church. <laughs> so, so they typed in Redeemer Church and found one in South Houston and said, I saw... Uh, that you guys exist. I went to your website. I, um, I checked out your statement of faith. I listened to your message, David, no pressure. And we saw, we saw that you were a rather young, uh, young church, just like us, and we decided we really want to help you. And two weeks ago, they took up an offering for this community, and uh, they gave $13,000 to this you guys know a couple weeks ago that I went to Scotland, and um, in, in that trip I have a, a friend who is uh, a fellow pastor who was on that trip. That was a trip uh, that we had planned long before Harvey that we went on because we couldn't get a refund, <laughs> but, uh, but um, we did it, and my friend, there's a pastor uh, who's a friend named Brian, and his wife Shelly was there, and he's the pastor of a Methodist church in northern Louisiana, First United Methodist of Mendon. And after Harvey hit, he called me and said, David, we want to do something. We want to directly help somebody. What kind of needs do you have? And I, at that point, it was early. And I was like, dude, I just got a surf pro bill for about $25,000. And he said, um, okay, uh, we'll see what we can do, you know. And, uh, 
And this is a church that's like 20 more people on a Sunday than Redeemer, right? It's not a big church. He, uh, when we were on the plane to Scotland, he, he, he was like, David, I just want you to know, and the smile on his face that um, we have raised in three weeks just short of $30,000. Isn't that incredible? Man, uh, my home church in Illinois took up an offering. They raised 4000 three weeks ago. Shannon's home church in Tomball, Texas, Lakewood United Methodist, uh, took up another, had, had a gift that they, had a fund that they had through their own capital campaign when they built four events for churches that were making a difference in the kingdom. They gave $12,000. We've had some really generous individuals come forward. And, and like I said, we're not there yet. But oh my gosh, we're close. Like, look at what God did in the last seven weeks. I, I, I just want you to, to hear it again. Our God is faithful. And, and he is absolutely 100% behind the good things that are happening right here. He is pleased with what God, what he has already done in this church. And, and, and God is going to move forward when, when we do our best and there are still gaps. And, and I want to believe that the lesson that you and I and this community can learn is God clearly has some big things in store for this community of faith. Is, is that not only can we trust God, but we can trust Him with our finances. We can learn to be personally generous to support the work that God wants to continue to do through this church. And we can learn to be personally generous so that we, so that maybe in two or three, seven, ten years, there's another disaster that hits the country and we can Google search Redeemer Church in that area too. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I, I want to do that. I want to be, I want that we not only receive God's generosity, but that we would become and learn how to be generous people through this. Guys, I, I'm, I'm so thankful to be back. Let us step back and see the good things that God is doing, the good work he is doing, despite this thing that happened to our church. Let's take, let's take up hope, let's have faith, and let's continue to do what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for, for how good you have been to us, for how in so many ways you have poured out your generosity and, and your people and your hope into situations that haven't been, Lord, that haven't been good and where we have experienced hurt and devastation. Help us as a community to trust you, continue to believe you, and help us as, as a community to step out and continue to be salt and light and continue to offer your hope uh, beyond the walls of this church, but to the people of this city who need to know you as we rebuild. We pray that in the powerful name of your son.